Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. It's pretty rare when we get to the 50 most relevant that I could sum up the player in 10 seconds and we could wrap up the episode. But as we look at number 22, Harley Reid, we could probably say that about him in my 50 most relevant and just say, pick him. But is there more that we need to understand and unpack? You know there is. He is who's up next in the 50 most relevant. Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and trust you're enjoying this series of the 50 most relevant. Can you believe only three more weeks to go of these daily episodes before we are done with these player profiles and we head into a bunch of other additional pieces of content that you're going to get from us every single day this preseason. Joining me on this episode of the 50 Most Relevant, you've seen him a bunch of times and heard from him a bunch of times already. I'm sure you'll see and hear from him again before we get to the end of the 50. It's Jordox. And for those watching on YouTube, if you've ever wondered what football team he goes for, wonder no more. <laughs> repping, don't, don't give it away for anybody that's not watching it, but you're repping your team's colours with pride, my friend. It's good to see you. And Harley Reid doesn't play for that team, but I'm pretty sure that team would definitely love to have him. Oh, absolutely they would. Uh, yeah, thanks, MJ. Good to be on. Great to chat about a player like Harley Reid. You hear the um, you hear the phrase generational talent quite a lot these days. In fact, we've kind of had these guys rolling through every year. So it's a big generation, I suppose. But in saying that, all jokes aside, yeah, this guy's going to be something, and and I can't wait to see him in round one. And on the the team that I support, well, I, I feel like you kind of introduce me with that team every time I jump on. So <laughs> Yeah, we've kind of given um, that away a little bit, haven't it's we? It's no surprise. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, not at all. All right, let's dive into some of his 2023 data. There is none, plain and simple. He did not play at the AFL level. He was the number one pick last year, but it means he is the most expensive cash cow across all of the formats. Anything over him, I would classify as a mid-price. So even if it's only by a little bit, for me, the number one uh, rookie or number one pick, that for me is the most expensive cash cow. Everything under is that. It's $207,300 in Supercoach. It's a flat 300k in AFL fantasy and a $304,800 price point. It's pretty rare, Jordox, that a player 12 months, six months, let alone 18 to 24 months out ahead of draft day is flagged universally as the clear and supreme number one pick. That doesn't mean guys like a, a McKercher, for example, or a Dersma, uh, that they weren't high quality players and weren't deserving of high selections. But universally across all AFL draft watches, almost every recruiter that went on record all made the statement that if they had the number one pick, who would they get? Harley Reid. Why? generational talent, this beautiful dynamic of power, of speed, of dynamic class, X factor, strong athletic uh, capacities, beautiful overhead mark, powerful beneath his knees. The Dustin Martin comparisons are probably pretty fair. And I think the West Coast Eagles and maybe for us in the fantasy community are going, if he gets anywhere near the type of career that Dusty has, 
I think the West Coast and us in the fantasy community are going to be pretty happy about that's what he's turning out to be. Absolutely, particularly in uh, September for for Tigers fans listening, we'll be very, very glad to hear that um, that, that happened for them. But, yeah, for West Coast, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, you know, my, my concern with this kid, I mean, aside from, you know, the fantasy conversation we're having is, just the um, the pressure, you know, for, for two years almost, he was considered most likely to be number one. And now he's landed at a club who, you know, realistically are at the lowest ebb in what has been a very proud and, you know, successful, what is it, 36, 37 years we've had the Eagles in our comp. So there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of expectation. But we've seen it, MJ, in the last three, four, five years. Names like Sam Walsh, who was... Similarly talked about, he came in and he just dominated, well, not dominated, but excelled right from the start, lived up to those expectations. Matty Rao gave us a solid month in the COVID year, then he got injured and he's kind of been a different player ever since. Still good, of course. And in recent years, you know, Horn Francis had a tricky year at North, as we know, but Nick Dacos, obviously, uh, Ashcroft last year. These number one guys are close to number one guys with the weight of the world on their shoulders as they join the league. They're pretty much hitting their straps from round one and it is so impressive to watch. So as a West Coast fan, knowing you've got one and as, you know, some Keeper League owners may have one, that might be me, I may be <laughs> getting him soon. Uh, it's exciting times coming ahead. When you watch this guy play, he, he played at the VFL level last year. He played under 18 footy and he played coats. It was clear that this was a player that was just so much stronger, so much classier, added so much more dynamic, whether it be through the midfield or when he got isolated and played forward. You could see that ability to win contested ball, to take an overhead mark and almost within a period of moments and possessions, change the game. Um, at Coates level, which is the under-18 championships, he averaged 19.5 disposals, 12.5 contested possessions, 6.5 clearances. He finished third in the Lark medal voting, and he was Vic Country's MVP. How did he go from a fantasy perspective? An 80.5 in AFL fantasy. You hear that now, like, oh, that's not good enough. He's an impact per possession type player. He's not your accumulator. He's not your Dacos. He's not your Ashcroft. He's not your Walsh. He's a different type of player, which means somewhere like a super coach where it's rewarded for impact per possession and what you do, you're going to see that bump in scoring. An average of 135 might indicate that, yeah, okay, maybe, just maybe, this guy could be a little bit of a beast in this format. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd be honest with you, about th maybe three months ago, I knew that Harley Reid was going to make the 50 most relevant. But knew it. With the hype that he was getting across even the fantasy community, we knew he'd have forward status given what he played at junior levels and through those handful of games at VFL. 
there was this expectation that it would be one of, if not the most owned player in the game. And at time of recording across all three salary cap formats, Harley Reid is the most expensive. Well, not the most expensive player, most expensive cap, but most owned player. But I had my concerns about him. And then a piece of information changed. I'll unpack the, my concern in a moment. But the moment Adam Simpson and the subsequent pre-season match simulations when they did the copycat league and move him to play off half back like Harry Sheasel did last year and Nick Dacos the year before to ease their talented star into their team. I think any concern anyone had about what he would score, how regularly he would play, how good he could be for me, largely washed away because that ball's going to spend a lot of time through that back line and through the midfield of West Coast. Jeez. He could do anything if this half back line, given how strong a scoring option he could be in that distribution role. And when you consider where the ball's going to be a lot for West Coast this year, it will be in the back line. It's it's a pretty cool precedent we've sort of seen starting to develop where you get these kids coming in who are so talented and are going to be great midfielders. They, like you said, they you know it, it can take time for them to get the scoring up. But as we've seen in the last few years with, with Dacos starting off a halfback, and then Sheasel was really the one that's going to be interesting, that was really interesting because he'd never played there as a junior. He was a forward, he was a mid, and North, you know, Clarko decided, let's get this guy into the game off halfback. The ball's going to be down there. And what did we get? We got one of the greatest fantasy debuts we've seen. So when I heard, like you, when I heard Harley Reid was going to be um, deployed off half-back, to, at least to start with. I got very excited for his scoring potential. And it went from him being like a guy that, you know, is exciting for the future, but this year probably averages, you know, 60, 70, maybe at probably at best, if, if we're being honest, that, that level going from VFL to AFL. and But now off half-back, we could see him do... I mean, there's no reason why he couldn't do what Sheasel did in 2023. Maybe not. I mean, that was really crazy. He just was smacking tons out of the park right from round one. But to see to see and hear Reid off half back is very exciting. And then, you know, as the preseason rolls on, you kind of want to see and hear how's he going at training? How's he going at the intra club? And they had an intra club the other day and you know, we know that they're just playing against each other and, you know, yeah. how serious is it? But he was one of the best on ground. And there was a little clip that was doing around on socials that I had, I did catch a glimpse of where this young 18-year-old just casually outmarks their new number one ruck, uh, Matty Flynn. And I just <laughs> thought, oh, boy, I can't wait to see this kid play. He's going to be a really special thing. The, the movement of him to halfback does... Three things, I think, from a fantasy community that we should take note. Number one is it may impact some of the scoring ceiling of other West Coast defenders we're considering in our draft and classic teams. So guys like a Liam Duggan, an Alex Witherden, or a Brody Hoff. If they're getting arguably the franchise player, and I would say that Harley Reid is already the best player at West Coast. 
And that's not throwing shade at the list whatsoever. Rather, it's just elevating who, in my eyes, is such a good footballer. So that's not a shade throw. That's a compliment to Harley Reid and what kind of footballer that he really is. Now, just quickly, I'll jump in, MJ, because there may be some listeners who hear something like that, a kid that hasn't even played yet, and you're yep. suggesting he's the best player at the club. Yep. Now, I remember you saying that to me in a conversation a couple of years ago about a player, and I'll be honest, mate, I thought, steady on, MJ. Like, yeah, how could you possibly say that? He hasn't even played a game of AFL. Well, that was Nick Dacos, and a couple of years later, I shall serve you some... No, you can serve me the humble pie. Anyway, the point is, when MJ says that, <laughs> listen. So that excites me that you think that about Reid. All right. So that I'm... I'm not concerned, but I'm intrigued at the ceiling clip. So that's one thing it does. The second thing is it does is it elevates his scoring potential. One of the reasons I was so hesitant about Harley Reid, not to put him in the 50, but just how much can a guy spending forward minutes and big forward minutes, if he was to play his traditional mid-forward role in a team that is rebuilding, that is structurally unsound in a few pocketed areas, And it's hard to be a good scoring rookie in a forward line that's probably not expected to see a high volume of ball. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, that's going to clip him to be a 50-55 guy. And that's okay. We'll we'll take that. It's It's a bit of a premium price we're paying for, but inarguably, you're thinking you're paying for job security. But now with him moving into this halfback role, the optimism can rise that now it's no longer, hey, I'll take a mid 50s, I'll take a low 60s, and that's good. It's now going, as you said, could he get to Sheasel's level? That's the dream. But it's probably statistically an anomaly that he does that. But what it can be is now give us confidence that his scoring can go up, which means his maximization of cash and scoring is better for us. But what that means structurally for us is it means you can probably move him up to an F5 rather than just going, okay, F6 if I have to, and I'll take the rookie roulette, which 50 and 60 am I going to get this week and hope I get the 80. If he's off that halfback role and West Coast continue to see a high volume of ball back there, all of a sudden the structural implications for your fantasy team with him at F5 or even as high as F4, um, if you really like, now change the dynamic. It gives you the pathway to go, you know what? Now I can spend a little up in my midfield. I can go a little bit deeper in my back line with some of the other speculative picks. So if he's in a better scoring prospect, it means you can be more confident with him on the field. Yes, he's the most owned player in the game. And I'd expect that to pretty much hold barring him not playing in round one, which will be injury or suspension. Those are the only ways he's not in there. So for me, that's a really good pathway and sign for us. And he needs to score a little bit better because the only way you don't pick Reed. And to be honest, this is a loosely poor argument, but it is the narrative you need to hold. If there's a cash cow at the base level that has a comparable scoring capacity and a comparable job security, then you go that one. Simple, because for Reed and Person X to generate the same amount of cash, Person X at the bottom can score less because of the way the magic numbers work and the price point. Now, do we need that? 
No, look, that's what I'm saying. That's the argument is you need seven, eight, nine cows because you're going to need to split them across your mids forwards. So the fact he's the most highly owned player, you're overthinking it if you're trying to look for another pathway there. If he was stuck in the forward line, okay, now you can start to consider it. Don't just pay up for job security, pay up for good scorers with job security. But I think in this halfback role, he's really got it. Everything coming out of West Coast is indicating, as it understandably should, the hype is real. Adam Simpson, former player and now assistant coach Luke Shuey. You read the West Australian, pretty much that's all they've done for the past three months is dedicate the back pages to either throwing shade at uh, Eastern BBL teams and glorifying how good Harley Reid is. That's what they've been able to do. And understandably so, they're so excited about him. I don't think there's a real reason not to pick him. Um, with much confidence and I feel like all it would take is him to pop an 80 in round one and you feel pretty sheepish and you're wasting a trade with that high volume of ownership with the DPP and with him playing in the back line don't overcomplicate life for yourself just go and pick Harley Reid draft is interesting though Jordox because historically these sort of players in a single season draft were taking late speculative flyers on And maybe, as you mentioned earlier in the episode, these young kids that are coming on and scoring enough to be on field, he'll go a little bit earlier. But with the challenges in the forward lines and the scoring potential for Harley in this half-back line, he won't gain DPP. He's already got it. He's a mid-forward. Where do you see people jumping to go and get Harley Reid on draft day? Well, in previous years, when the forward line has been... um not even stacked, just not as thin as it is currently this year. A guy like Reed, number one pick with forward status, you know, typically you'd, he'd be a late flyer. You'd grab him for your bench. You never know. See how he goes. I'm sure no one drafted Sheasel early in the draft last year. They would, He would have been a bench guy and happy days. But two things. One, the back line position, the off-half back, which is we've gone over in this um in this episode and how that's going to, you know, potentially and likely inflate his scoring to something that's much more fieldable. And the fact that our forward lines are going to be pretty bare this year, at least as we look into the year, as it rolls on, we might look back halfway through the year and, and, and all these guys have popped and we're like, Hey, the forward line's pretty chockers. But right here and now with the evidence we had on last year's data, the forward line is very, very bare. So based on that, not only is Reed an on-field forward, I wouldn't even be surprised to see him go at F3, F4. I mean, if you've got a blockbuster midfield and you've just decided, no, nah, I'm going to leave the forwards, which I think will probably be a pretty common strategy this year with the amount of talent we have in the midfield. So if you have a blockbuster midfield, a, uh, midfield, a pretty decent back line, I don't see why you'd be too stressed having Harley Reed at F3 but maybe F4, but yeah, he's he's on the field. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I can see people reaching at F3 going, I'm just going to take it. I'm going to get it. I don't like this line. And, and putting him inside their ranks as a top 30 forward, that, that feels crazy when you think of it. But the narrative and the pathway is there absolutely. I, I, I'd probably feel a bit more comfortable at an F4 spot as as early as I'd like to get him. But all it takes is one bullish person in draft to not like the forwards, to like the narrative of how the scoring could come for Harley. And it doesn't matter. You'll miss them. So if you want him, it's got to be in an F3. Any higher than that is just 
bananas um, and you're banking on way too much return that might not come his way but absolutely he's going to be a guy that you want very very um, much so in single seasons and, and I'll ask you quickly keeper leagues there's three guys that I reckon are in contention for people's top three picks this is unplanned question it's McKercher it's Sanders and it's Reed. They're probably the three that people are the most in a redraft, right? In in a in a an existing brand, keeper, correct? An existing yeah. keeper. They're heading to the draft pool. Obviously, we don't know what's in those pool. Is it McKercher one, Reed two? Is it McKercher one, Reed three? Is it Reed one, Sanders one? What's your initial gut take if you had pick one in a keeper league? You don't know all the nuances that sit through there because that's mm. the challenges, so many variables. Who would you take first, McKercher, Reed, or Sanders in a brand new redraft? Great question because I'm in that exact situation um, in a keeper league myself. Uh, let's work backwards. I'd have Sanders at three okay. and, uh, you know, nothing against him, just the two above him. How do you split McKercher and Reed? Look, if this was before the Reed to the backline conversation, I'd say, you know what? Actually, it reminds me of Dacos or Horn Francis that year. And the common sort of narrative around those two was Dacos will be much better immediately, fantasy. Horn Francis will be a slow burn. I looked at uh, Reed and McKercher in the same sort of vein. McKercher, he should hit the ground running. Um, I'm sure we'll talk. someone will be talking about him at some point in the 50. And then Reed, like you said at the start, will be an impact slow burn guy who maybe in five years will be the best player and, and a real fantasy primo. But now that Reed gets a year or two off of half back, I reckon I'd stick with Reed at one. But nice. you, you're absolutely splitting hairs there. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm a McKercher man at one, but if someone wants Reed at, at their first pick in, in a redraft of a keeper, I'm not going to talk them out of it, especially if I've got the second pick, that's for sure. Hey, Jordox, mate, an absolute pleasure chatting with you about a guy that I think is in all of our fantasy teams across all of the classic formats and looks like he's going to be a long-term ripper for us. Yeah, it's going to be lots of fun. Thanks, MJ. If you want to go and check out the article on Harley Reid or anyone else that we've covered so far in the 50 Most Relevant or some of the other articles that have dropped this preseason, you can check it out at coachespanel.tv. There are daily podcasts dropping and you can make sure, if you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Leave a five-star rating. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, take that extra 30 seconds to leave a encouraging and nice review. It helps others know and find out about the Coaches Panel. It's always nice to know what you think of these episodes we'll even read one of them out or so so if you want to get your name shouted out on the podcast leave a nice encouraging five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts. we'll be able to shout you out during these episodes of the 50 most relevant and we're on youtube every single day a brand new episode is dropping and if you are watching this on youtube what do you think harley reed averages this year you could comment below and let us know. Have that subscription button smashed out of the park and have the notifications on so that as soon as new videos drop every single day, you get notified straight away. And in 30 seconds time, a little clue 
about who's coming in at number 21 of the 50 most relevant. If you haven't joined our Patreon supporter group, you know what? You need to get involved. There is a bunch of great rewards that come in. Our breakout and premium tiers, they get a heap of content during the season and they get these audio episodes of the 50 most relevant a day early. There's our rookie guide that comes out for all tiers of it. There are some keeper leagues that are about to get underway that are exclusive for our Patreons hosted by different members of the panel. So you can take them on and see just how good you are against some of the different panel members, all the details, and that's just some of the rewards. So all the details for our Patreon, what well, you can find it in the description of this video and this audio podcast. And that's where you can also follow any members of the coaches panel you want on the social media, Twitter slash X. So who's next up in the 50 most relevant? You got your guessing handbook ready to go? For the past eight seasons, he hasn't dropped an average under 100. Last year was a career high for him in one of these formats. He's always been known to have ceiling, but his frequency of ceiling went up a level. And yet there's still some concerns in the community that on his day, he'll dish you up a 50 and 60 and absolutely burn you. If you've played fantasy footy anywhere over these last eight years and you've been any good at the game, you've owned this player at least once. And if you've had good seasons on more than one occasion, you've owned him for more than just one season. Who's this eight-year consecutive hundred player? And why is he inside the 20s of the 50 most relevant? We will unpack that tomorrow.